listening to episode 21, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Ashley Hales holds a PhD in English from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. She's a writer, speaker, and hosts the Finding Holy podcast. Ashley's married to a church planter in the Southern California suburbs and the mother to four. Her writing has been featured in such places as the Gospel Coalition, Books and Culture, and Christianity Today. Her first book is Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. As we continue our conversation with Ashley, we explore two more idols that are hidden in the suburbs, busyness and safety or security. But the real question we need to answer is, how can we abolish these suburban idols in our lives? The first step is to acknowledge our idolatry through repentance. And the second is to accept our identities as beloved children of God. For God's love has the power to reach into our hearts and draw us back to Him as our gracious and loving Father. One of the other things that the suburbs seem to produce in us is busyness. And it seems counterintuitive because, again, you drive into the suburbs and everything is nice and neat and manicured, and it seems like a place of really rest and leisure, but they become a place of busyness. What's going on with that? Yeah. Well, I was just speaking to another friend, and we were saying how it's almost like we're on hamster wheels next to each other, right? But we're not actually interacting, but everyone's got their schedules. And, you know, I think really what it comes down to, at least where we are, is the sense that I need to look to all these outside sorts of things to make my life feel meaningful. And so whether it's, you know, your children and their extracurricular activities or their, um, you know, how well they did academically, that all of these things we feel like reflect on us. So maybe we need to learn a little bit of differentiation from our children and and our places. But um, I think that's part of it is we, we do all of these things because we want, you know, our children to be happy or we want to feel successful or we're making a difference. Um, And we've really forgotten what does it look like to practice Sabbath? What does it look like to move from a place of rest and identity in Jesus um, into what God might have for us? And we just feel, you know, American dream, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, work harder, make it happen. Uh, and that's infected our, you know, not only our communities and our culture, but also I think the church too, is we have to, we have to keep hustling for Jesus, um, instead of at least taking a step or two back, um, and seeing how do we do hard work and do things for God? Yes. But because we are first loved by God. Mm. It, it is really difficult. And, uh, you know, I was actually talking with Josh this morning about this as we sort of got prepared for the interview. and. And your book really has been challenging me personally in this area because I'm I'm somebody who does. I, I look at my identity first and foremost as what I produce. Right. And this is actually a new revelation for me. I, I didn't think that this was the kind right. of person that I was. And so this has been a recent journey. And yet it so easily creeps into who we are as what we produce is. And again, it seems like it's it comes up that tension so naturally of, well, God has called me to do something great and he's called yeah. me to do things. So of course, I have to go out and, and do. Um, but, but so I love what you're talking about here is this is learning to come back and rest in our identity in God. And now I'm going to get ahead into what I want to get into as far as the, the repentance and belovedness that you're, yeah. that you're talking about. Um, let's hit safety real quick, just because I think it's another great idol that 
I would have never thought about before until I, again, until I came across your book. So how has safety, security become an idol for us in our suburban lives? Mm -hmm. You know, I think safe, obviously I'm not saying that we should all just be unsafe and who cares? I don't know what my kids are doing and, you know, go around in the street. Um, like we need, we need safe places. Um, and yet I think like all of the idols, busyness, consumerism, individualism, when we serve that thing, it will devour us. And so safety, I think you can see is particularly in parenting with, or even, you know, you can also see, I think, in a tendency of younger people to be really wary of relationships, right? Either with the opposite sex or even friendships that is, you know, it's easier to hide behind a screen. And so we, cause we are so concerned about being unsafe. Um, we're concerned about, you know, our, our feelings being hurt or concerned about, you know, our children being unsafe and that so much that we have kind of wrapped our hearts and souls and minds and families and bubble wrap. Um, and to really realize that actually, you know, the type of God we serve is a God who goes through pain. Um, and the ways that we meet God is often through pain and suffering. And so to, to assume really that I need to insulate myself from people or circumstances so that I'm safe actually removes a lot of ways about how God comes near to us. And if our if our whole lives are meant to be lived in light of the story of the gospel, then we're actually choosing to kind of truncate that story when we choose to worship safety. So whether that's, you know, in parenting where you are so concerned, you know, micromanaging your kids' friends or, um, you know, so concerned about their own success because you feel like it's a reflection on you or whether it's not engaging in, you know, in a relationship because, you know, you're worried that you're going to get hurt. And that's when it becomes an idol that everything you can know, something's become an idol is when everything starts to revolve around those sorts of things rather than kind of from a place of freedom. Actually, I'm really challenged by this one too, because I have found this demonstrates my faith more than anything else. And you have a story of, you, you know, your son, um, you took him to a playground and he just jumped up on a on the monkey bars and started running and playing and all the other moms were freaking out. And right. you were like, No, I've had this moment, like I know yeah. what he can do. Right. I remember when I first became a parent, this was the biggest struggle for me. And I still am struggle with it. I was challenged by one of my colleagues at work who said, like, Do you not trust God with your own children? Right. And I had to come to the conclusion I don't. Right. I really don't trust God with my own children. And that's a really Okay, I've found the end of my faith then, right? right? Yeah. And so it's been a constant struggle, and I've gotten better at it, but having to lay down that idol and, and to uh, learn to trust God and give that over to Him. Yeah, yeah. So in the second part of your book, you talk about repentance and living out of the deep storehouse of belovedness. And um, we really need this idea of repentance and, and belovedness. To, so how, how does repentance help us? counterbalance all of these idols and help us live out this new story that Jesus has called us to through the gospel? You know, I think a lot of times we want to just like skip over a chapter on repentance because it feels like icky and I don't want to like actually go through all my junk. But um, I think, you know, if we skip into like, hey, these are all the things our culture tells us are okay, but they're not really. But then, you know, Jesus loves you and it's okay. Um, we're not actually coming to terms with who we are, right? That we're not seeing our own twisted desires. We're not seeing, you know, how we can use good things um, and make them ultimate things. We're not, 
we're just kind of really dumbing down um, and watering down the story of the gospel if we don't repent. And so repentance also, though, says like Jesus loves me so much that he wants me to see myself and to see myself in light of, you know, the ugliness and the beauty all together. It's a both and it's not an either or. And his good for me is to repent. It's like my kid that likes to steal candy of one of those. And um, for his good, I need him to repent of the fact that he took some candy, not just because I need, you know, more candy in my own, like middle of the night, I'm hungry sort of stash bite, but, but that he needs to come to terms with what he's done so that he can move forward and that we can trust each other again because he's lost trust. And so same with Jesus, right? That we need to be able to say, you know, I run to the sugar or I run to my shopping trip or I run, I just want to distract myself with my phone or just keep moving. So I don't see that desperation in my heart, but I know like a loving parent that you love me anyway. And so it's okay to say, I'm sorry. So what have you found helpful as far as like when you recognize that you're doing that, you're running back to target or to the salty chips or I discovered again, I'm emotional. I'm an emotional eater. I didn't think that I was. (laughs) Again, after you sort of uh, get, I think once you get into your thirties, you become better introspective and start looking. Of course the pounds help too, you know, like when I eat one thing, it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, This is a a pattern. Yeah, that one chip I ate turned into half a pound. What's up? (laughs) That's right. Yes. What has been helpful for you is in way of repenting of those things, what are the practices that you've gone to? Is it just taking a moment and spending time in prayer or is it other activities that you've replaced so that you can just be with God? What have you found helpful? Mm, yeah. You know, I, a few things I found is just trying to bring in some practices of like historic, older forms of historic Christianity. So, you know, finding a, a prayer of confession, you can find bunches of them online or, you know, the Anglican book of prayer, has a bunch. And so you don't even have to come up with your own words and you can just make that part of your rhythm or routine. That's been something that's been helpful for me. But a lot of it too, is just spending time in silence before God. I've just been praying recently. Like I don't like repenting. I don't, I feel like I'm really quick to be defensive, um, to let me explain all the reasons why I did what I did and you found it frustrating. Um, and, and so just to say, okay, God, in this time of silence, like bring to mind those things that are hurtful or, um, helping my own children kind of repent and not simply, you know, towards each other or neighborhood kids or whatever, like snafu they've gotten into that as a parent, I can kind of see like, this isn't that big a deal. Like you don't need to fight tooth and nail that you're right here. Um, and that has been a gift of God's grace too, because I know oftentimes I'm like that five-year-old who's just, no, this is what they did to me. Um, and so it helps me take a little bit of humor at my own fallenness too, perhaps. So I think, you know, choosing to, to bring those things to God, choosing to make rhythms, like praying a prayer of confession, just as part of your normal thing, um, is something that's been helpful along with finding the lessons in your own life where you see that. Mm-hmm. I'm also hearing again, sort of the, the shadow of, uh, just living into the awkward moments or, or the uncomfortable moments in that, like sometimes it might just literally be an uncomfortable moment where we have to die to ourselves and and give up that need in order to, yeah, like you said, go find a prayer of confession. Right. Yeah. Even today at the park, my five-year-old daughter was 
you know, her friends had run away from her and she was feeling like, oh, they all ran, they all hate me. And I was just saying, let's go talk to them. And she kept wanting to say, they were saying, Harriet, you screamed at us. And she kept wanting to say, well, like you ran away from me, but you ran away from me and had to walk her through slowly and say, okay, before we get there, it sounds like your friends are feeling hurt. Like, because you screamed, like, what do you need to say? I'm sorry for, and just realizing all of our human tendency is just like, just like her, right? Is that, well, this is what you did. It happened right, right in the beginning of the garden. This woman you put here, you know, this man, this snake, right? That we, we always want to blame shift. Um, but we only find freedom, right? When we actually say, you're right. I'm wrong. Jesus, I need you. And it's all made possible then when you talk about in your next chapter, that we are belovedness and we are created as beloved creatures and that we are invited into the household of God. Talk to us about the role of belovedness in this whole thing, because I think this is so important for us to understand our identity and then where our place is in this story that we're living. Mm -hmm. Well, the story that I used to open the book and that I focus on in the chapter on belovedness is the story of the prodigal sons. Um, And I think we can see ourselves either as the younger boy who runs away or the older boy who is still really hardened to the father. Um, and he just kind of wants the father's stuff. And I think, you know, the, the challenge I think in that parable, right, is to say like, we are, we are children of God and we are welcomed into the feast of our father. And most of us either don't think we're, we think we need to earn it or we think that we're entitled to it. Um, and neither is the proper response, right? The proper response is gratitude and, and celebration. And so, Partly for me, I kept dwelling on that story because as we had moved to the suburbs, I, you know, and I didn't feel great about it. didn't feel like a great fit. Um, I didn't know if I could be used here. I was really trying to press into, is God good? Even when my circumstances don't align with that, with that goodness, even if I don't feel like I'm flourishing, is God good? And so that was the story that I really landed on was this is our father, right? Is the father who runs to meet his last son and he runs to meet the son that's lost in his own anger and self-righteousness. And so if that is who Jesus says our heavenly father is, what do I do with that, right? How do I press into that identity? Um, And so really it doesn't mean necessarily that my life looks any different. And of course it's not like I've arrived, but to say, to remind myself and to take thoughts captive and say, wait, all of these misconceptions about who God is that I have to work hard to be approved or that I'm being lazy or, you know, that he's really kind of mildly disapproving of me and I haven't really amounted to much or he's shaming me are not who God is. If I trust the story of scripture to say that this is who God is, then I need to live like it. And I need to practice small habits that will push me towards who God actually is instead of who I imagine God to be. That's that's a good point because we get caught up. We create God in our own image. It's that same sin that goes all the way back to the garden, and and so right. we create God's image and then impose that image on ourselves, and then think you know. So it, yeah. it, it is a very vicious cycle. We all have some idea of who God is in our minds. You may even have a mental image of who He is when you talk with Him. I want to challenge you to take ten minutes today and write down a brief description of who you think God is. Don't just write down the obvious, but take time to really think about who you think he is. Is he the angry father who's ready to punish you if you step out of line? Is he the absent deity who doesn't really care about you? 
Or is he a friend who's there to support you no matter who you are or what you do? Take some time to think about the characteristics you project onto God. Then, let this description set overnight. In the morning, come back to it and ask God to reveal himself to you and show you the ways you may not see him accurately. Whether we admit it or not, we all struggle to see God without the projections of our own culture. But as God reveals himself to us more and more, we begin to understand the ways our culture and communities are fallen and the antidote God wants us to use to change it as we become more like him. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Ashley Hales and her work, check out aahales.com. Then check out the final chapter in our conversation where Ashley talks about what it means to live a life of holiness in everyday life. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.